You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. Happy to be here with you this morning for our weekly hour together. Today we're going to discuss chronic pain. The patients in my life have just been having more and more issues with chronic pain, so I thought it might be a great idea to get an expert to talk to us about it. And many of the folks that I treat have become addicted to opioids due to their chronic pain, and most of them are getting angry because they say that no one told them that their pain medicine will lead to an addiction. And now, after following their physician's directions about pain management, they find themselves dealing with a medication that is very difficult to stop taking because it's so addictive. And I have a book out about this called Let's Make a Contract, Getting Your Teen Past the Opioid Epidemic. And even though it's written for parents, it, it can really help anybody who has chronic pain understand the nature of addiction to opioids. But let me give you a little history about opioid medication. So first of all, the pharmaceutical companies told the physicians that there was no problem with long-term use. And as a result, opioid medication was prescribed to patients on a long-term basis. And now we have what we call the opioid epidemic due to the prevalence of use of opioids, both through prescription and through street use. And I call opioids the sole stealer because they are so addictive. And currently, physicians are prescribing opioid medications with much more caution. And the combination of opioids and chronic, chronic pain affects people's lives and their relationships. What much of the medical community didn't recognize and perhaps still doesn't understand is that there are treatments other than opioids that work very well for those who have chronic pain. And today's guest, Dr. Jessica Bergstrom, is a returning contributor to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. She's a psychologist at one of the nation's largest HMOs, and she received her degree from the the PGSP Stanford Consortium. Dr. Birdstrom obtained her clinical and research training within the Veterans Administration Healthcare System and at Stanford University. Dr. Birdstrom, welcome back to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. Thank you so much. Well, I know you have an array of other specialties, so before we get to the topic of chronic pain, tell us about some of them. Absolutely, and it's great to be on the show again. So aside from chronic pain, my other specialties include the treatment of PTSD, which uh, stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, also the treatment of insomnia, depression, and psychosis. And PTSD, aside from my other specialties, uh, is pretty near and dear to my heart. In fact, I developed a treatment protocol within the Veterans Administration for veterans struggling with both chronic pain and PTSD, since these two are very much correlated. Wow, well, we might have to have you back on to discuss PTSD and chronic pain. But how, I'm curious about how you became interested in chronic pain issues. 
this was completely by accident. Um, so while I was in undergraduate college at San Francisco State, I was accepted into a research lab whose focus was examining chronic pain within an underserved population residing within the San Francisco Bay Area. And so among many things, uh, our lab saw a lot of co-occurring factors uh, like depression, anxiety, and trauma. And so it was, you know, aside from chronic pain, and so it was at this point that this chronic pain concept continued to show itself across all the areas and populations I uh, continued studying and treating throughout my educational career. And, and, you know, patients with depression, PTSD, insomnia, anxiety in particular. So I, I really became interested in learning more about that relationship and decided to pursue the area of chronic pain and how to treat it. Well, I'm really glad you did because I think it's a huge, huge topic and I think many of our listeners and I know my patients and I would guess yours don't really get what chronic pain is. So if I say, oh my gosh, my knee hurts but it doesn't hurt all the time, I think, is that chronic pain? So tell us, what is chronic pain? Okay, so um, according to the International Association for the Study of Pain, chronic pain involves suffering from pain in a particular area of the body for at least three to six months, and it may be, you know, this type of chronic uh, condition may be as severe as or if not more severe than what's called acute pain, Uh, but the individual's experience is, you know, modulated and compounded by the prolonged or, or recurrent nature of the pain itself, and so and it can often be further complicated by just a, a multitude of psychosocial factors. And, you know, the pain frequently originates with some kind of initial trauma or injury, but it is possible that there could be an ongoing cause of the chronic pain. And it, it is important to validate, though, that there are many individuals who suffer from chronic pain without the presence of any kind of past injury or trauma. And so it's important to to recognize that the pain these individuals feel is no less real than the pain caused by, you know, an ongoing disease or injury. And so some examples of chronic pain are, you know, arthritis, headaches, back pain, neuropathy, fibromyalgia, uh, you know, just to name a few. Yes, it seems like it's pretty prevalent chronic pain, with or without an injury, as you said. And it just seems to be everywhere. How common is chronic pain? Unfortunately, it's, it's way too common. Uh, one in three Americans, uh, so more than 12 million people, suffer from this kind of recurring pain in their lifetime. And in fact, for Americans, uh, there was a study that showed that pain is the most common ailment over hypertension, diabetes, and cancer combined. And some studies have even indicated that chronic pain uh, prevalence ranges from anywhere from 10% all the way up to 55% of the population. And that's those are kind of scary statistics because, you know, if we are suffering from chronic pain, it seems to me that our focus won't be on our kids or our spouse or partner or who, whatever, or our job. We're going to be distracted by this pain. And I'm curious, Dr. Bergstrom, what can result from chronic pain? So the condition, first of all, can last for years. It's not uncommon. And the biggest effect chronic pain has on individuals is really an alteration of 
uh, you know, their lifestyle. And, and many individuals who experience chronic pain are unable to complete daily tasks in the same way they had previously been able to. Um, and it can, chronic pain itself also can lead to a syndrome known as disuse, which essentially means that people in chronic pain sometimes limit their activities, you know, in effort to avoid further pain or injury. But then this, this disuse or inactivity leads to weakness, which then prompts the patient to limit even more activity, even further, and then creating a vicious psycho, a cycle. Um, and we'll address this later, but additionally, there, there may be, you know, psychological complications that arise, you know, living with chronic pain, like depression, insomnia, so fatigue, stress, uh, irritability, uh, lowered immune system, you know, so becoming more sick, drug abuse, addiction, and even suicidal ideation, and all these things can, you know, lead to further problems in that person's daily life. Yeah, I have a lot of people in various groups that I lead with fused backs and necks and from all kinds of different conditions. Tell us what some of the factors are that can increase chronic pain because many of my patients are just focused and they can't do much of anything else because they're so focused on their chronic pain. So some of the, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's all consuming. Um, So some factors that can increase this chronic pain, uh, you know, Based on the biopsychosocial model, I, I categorize these factors uh, into really four domains. So, and these factors are number one, physical. So, you know, degenerative changes, muscle tension, drug abuse, too little or too much physical movement, and then poor diet um, are the the physical factors. The cognitive factors are paying too much attention to your pain, uh, which is kind of what you refer to. Believing that your pain's uncontrollable, you know, having too much fear of your pain, and then some common cognitive distortions that actually increase the pain severity. Um, the third factor is in the emotional category. So factors that increase chronic pain can be depression, fear, anxiety, or anger. So these negative emotions actually have shown in a plethora of studies to increase pain severity. And then finally, the fourth factor is, is the social domain. Uh, so, you know, imbalance between work, social, and recreational activities, uh, that can increase chronic pain and then poor support from you know, family and friends and others focusing on your pain or even protecting you from your pain too much can, can increase your pain. Uh, I know. I just want to say that for those of our listeners and my patients who are on opioid medication for chronic pain, Opioids can increase the perception of pain. Yes. So we think we're taking a medication that's really helping us, but what it does is it, it makes our pain feel worse than it would if you weren't on opioids. So I just want to make sure our listeners hear that. Absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah. So let's talk about the treatment and management of chronic pain because this is a big one, and there are a lot of different approaches what is your framework in understanding and treating chronic pain? So just as chronic pain itself is very complex and multidimensional, so needs to be the treatment of it. So the best treatment model comes from what's called a biopsychosocial approach in understanding and treating the pain. So essentially what this says is that there are biological, 
psychological and social underpinnings of what's causing and maintaining the pain, as well as how to go about treating it in these different domains. So, for example, the biological approach uh, for understanding pain is, you know, of course, the physiology going on within the parts of the brain, nerves, and fibers that are all playing a role in the sensation of feeling pain, for example. Uh, the biological approach in treating it then would be, of course, you know, it could be medication. Um, and, you know, that medication can be administered, you know, orally, you know, intravenously, um, or, you know, a skin patch or cream. You know, and the, and the discussion about using medications like opioids could be very lengthy enough for another podcast. So to keep it brief, while, while meds can be substantial in providing relief um, and helping with withdrawal, you know, when it comes with it comes a plethora of negatives, including addiction, tolerance, and what you were referring to before, which is called hyper uh, hyperalgesia, uh, and a variety of additional medical and physical ailments, and of course, overdose and fatality. Yeah, it's it's pretty scary to me, and um, the people I treat are very upset about what's happened to them if they are on opioids, or they're upset that nobody ever told them that there are alternatives to taking opioids. And we're coming up on a break, Mm -hmm. and when we come back, I'd like you to talk about a little more the biological factors and um, how we can understand pain treatment. So listeners, we have to go to a break, and we will be back in a few moments. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Relationship Radio. We are so 
fortunate to have back with us Dr. Jessica Bergstrom this morning. We're talking about chronic pain. And Dr. Bergstrom just mentioned the biological factor of understanding and treating pain. What are the other domains of the biopsychosocial model so we will understand them? Sure. So these would be the non-pharmacological management approaches, so basically no meds. Um, Generally, non-pharmacological pain management uses ways to alter your thoughts and then also to focus, uh, oftentimes behaviorally, uh, to help decrease pain. Yeah, and it's so complex and it seems like there's so many treatment options. Can you briefly share some of these options within the psychological and social domains of treatment? And I don't. I want to prepare our listeners because I know there's a ton of them. Don't be overwhelmed. Just take in the information. Okay, what are they? <laughs> All right, so here you have them. So, again, the psychological and social domains from that model of treatment can include uh, things like meditation, cognitive behavioral therapy, biofeedback, exercise, believe it or not, um, restructuring inaccurate thought processes, uh, relaxation, creams or gels, um, chiropractor work, physical therapy, hypnosis, massage, stress management, um, acupuncture, support groups, stretching, and then the concept, which we'll go into later, called pacing. Some options work, some don't. I know that was a long list, but, um, you know, some some work all the time and some work some of the time. So to really effectively manage your chronic pain, you have to be open to trying different treatments, sometimes in combination with each other. And if, if one strategy isn't working right away, keep trying because it, it may take a while for it to become effective. Yeah, and I think in our culture we just want the instant fix, most of us. <laughs> We don't want to have to work for it or consider the other options. But listeners, I think uh, Dr. Bergstrom and I, I know for myself for sure, have treated chronic pain and um, similar conditions for a very, very long time. And considering and doing these other options is a lot easier than becoming addicted to medication and then having to get off of it because your body cannot sustain uh, the tolerance level you have after using it for long-term purposes. Right, and so, expands your quality of life. Absolutely. Gosh, if you can go exercise or go to your chiropractor and get some pain relief, go back because none of that lasts forever. And by the way, neither does taking a pill. It doesn't last forever. You have It will control your life about, okay, yeah. it's time to take the pill. Mm-hmm. So it's a really long list that you gave us, and I... I really want to thank you for that, and it's really encouraging. But on the other hand, it could be a bit daunting, and I would imagine for the person trying to manage their pain, they're even like, okay, I don't know what to do now. And it feels even stressful. How does stress negatively impact a chronic pain in a patient? Stress about the pain, uh, needing to accept and adjust one's lifestyle, that's a big one. Being limited in what they were able to do prior to this is extremely stressful, all of that, Um, yet can actually perpetuate pain flare-ups and a whole host of other things like depression, 
digestive disorders. It can stress can raise cholesterol levels. Uh, it can create hypertension, literally damage block arteries, which then causes heart disease. Um, stress lowers the immune system and slows the body's recovery time from injuries, which, as you can see, perpetuates the vicious chronic pain cycle. Yeah, and I would think um, that chronic pain is stimulated about worry about the chronic pain. Right, <laughs> exactly. Please stress. Yeah. So yeah. there seems to be a lot of connection between stress and chronic pain. Can you address this link? Sure. So an interesting fact, uh, 35% of people with chronic pain also have PTSD. Um, and prolonged... The flight system that we all have in our bodies, it occurs when one is stressed or threatened, right? So our fight-or-flight response is there as really a protective device to us when, you know, encountering danger. Of the many things this physiological system does is it releases chemicals into our bloodstream, so like cortisol and epinephrine. Uh, these are pretty strong chemicals to have in our bloodstreams, especially all the time uh, with chronic stress. So in order to essentially, you know, this is for a purpose of either fleeing or fighting, right, when threatened. So its very job is to physically prepare our bodies to uh, fight or, or run away from the danger, um, you know, primarily to put. The problem is that when the protective system occurs for too long or too often, which occurs in PTSD and, and general anxiety, the body begins to take a toll. You know, so it's like driving your car in hard in high RPM for a long period of time, not only do these stress chemicals cause damage to the body, but if we are in overdrive constantly, so is your physical tension and muscles. Mm. Wow, that you know that that's really concerning because I think a lot of us in our current life are, are really stressed, and it's amazing how much. That can be in impacted by stress alone, and I, I know inflammation is a big too, deal, too. Right. So what's the best approach to address this? Relaxation. This is the key to counteract this negative reaction on our bodies. So the relaxation response, the opposite of fight or flight, is a physical state of deep rest uh, that, that changes the physical and emotional response uh, for our bodies. Uh, so you can manage stress through re relaxation by way of breathing exercises, yoga, you know, progressive muscle relaxation, meditation, mantra, guided imagery, downtime, really whatever fits your lifestyle of relaxation. Now, I have a lot of folks who I've made similar suggestions to, and here's the response I get. I don't have time to do that. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever had that too? Absolutely. No time at all. This does, yeah. So, listeners, this does not have to be like a 30-minute long protracted thing that you're doing to, by relaxation. And it seems like breathing in particular is perhaps one of the best strategies for coping with stress and pain. And we all breathe. So, But why is breathing a good strategy? So... One of the first ways that stress causes that physiological uh, response is our breathing becomes sped up and or shallower, which then what happens is it lowers our supply of oxygen to the brain, to the muscles, and the nervous system. So this creates essentially a feeling of panic to the brain, 
<clears throat> so it's always gasping for air, creating an alarm response. So when we begin to experience stress, you know, we start to breathe incorrectly, you know, that shallower, rapid breathing. And so this incorrect breathing causes our body to receive too much carbon dioxide and too little oxygen, which then directly tells our brain to start panicking, i.e. turn on that fight-or-flight response. So therefore, in order to stop this circuit, in order to, to relax, to calm down, all we have to do is breathe slowly to turn down our stress system. When you slow down the breathing, uh, particularly the exhale out, so will your heart rate and so will your entire nervous system. So, you know, when people say, oh, focus on your breathing, that really is one of the most powerful things you can do for your body to relax. Well, that seems really easy. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) But it's not that easy, is it? Because... We have to stop what are doing, what we're doing, and be conscious about stopping what we're doing right. in order to do this. Yeah, and I don't think people have programmed their thinking about okay, I need to stop and take a break. And with that in mind, do you recommend a particular breathing exercise? My rule of thumb really is to to do what feels most comfortable to you, but with the intention of breathing slowly and especially prolonging that exhale out. And, you know, for example, if you were to put a stethoscope into your ears and listen to your heart rate, you would actually hear, you know, during the exhale, that would be when you would hear your heart rate decreasing um, the most. So, you know, there's one technique called calm breathing. And so essentially you hold your breath for five seconds and then you exhale slowly through your nose with your mouth closed, letting all the air out of your lungs. You pause for a count of four, and then you take your next breath in, and you repeat this process. So, you know, Anne, like you said, so right on. It may be difficult to remember to, you know, to this breathing technique or any technique when you actually need it during, you know, stressful time. So that's why practicing, you know, regularly during the day, that'll help make this technique become second nature to you for the times when you, when you really do need it. Yeah, and, you know, it can be really helpful. I have folks who do this kind of breathing when they've had to train themselves to remember to do it because they get all caught up in what they're doing, which increases stress. So they've been very creative about this. Some people wear an elastic band around their wrist so that they can remember or they set an alarm. Yeah, I tell my patients to do that. Pardon? I tell my patients to do the alarm system, yep. Yeah, do the alarm. It will remember. It will remind you to give your body and your mind a little break. Hmm. Now, I, I want to uh, talk about one kind of breathing now. So most of us feel like, okay, I'm breathing, and I'm going to slow down. But there's a thing called abdominal breathing, and that isn't that the crux of the matter to do this abdominal breathing where. You, where you, you you expand your abdomen and then you contract it as you breathe out. Do you have any thoughts about yes. that? Yes, as opposed to, you know, essentially just breathing through your chest. That technically isn't the appropriate way to have calm breathing. So just like you said, you want to use your abdomen to facilitate that deeper calming breathing response. Yes, so you breathe in and as you breathe in, you expand your abdomen and as you breathe out, you contract your abdomen. Mm-hmm. And this takes practice because it doesn't feel normal. It feels awkward, right? Yeah. Now, we're going to have to take a break, 
And listeners, we're going to come back, and I'm going to ask Dr. Bergstrom about progressive muscle relaxation. So we will be back in a few moments. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. are here with Dr. Jessica Bergstrom talking about chronic pain and how we can deal with it. And as we went to commercial break, we were, I was going to ask Dr. Bergstrom about progressive muscle relaxation. So would you explain this to us? Absolutely. So practicing muscle relaxation is useful in the same way as the calm breathing technique. So the important part of, of progressive muscle relaxation is is becoming aware when your muscles are tense. Oftentimes we're not we're not aware that we're clenching our jaw or we're raising our shoulders. Um, and then once we become aware, you then use relaxation techniques to loosen and lessen that tension. So to do this, you simply practice tensing, purposely tensing, and then releasing all of your muscle groups one by one. Tension. So. Yes, and I have to, I have to say this. This really works. People get very relaxed after doing this kind of procedure. Now, I've always enjoyed integrating guided imagery as a coping skill for my own patients. Can you explain to our listeners what this entails, what guided imagery is? Yeah, so this is a pretty simple one, too, uh, probably one of my favorites. The point is here is to really just put yourself mentally and visually in a place that works best for you in terms of relaxing you. So envisioning 
you know, being on a beach, being next to a river, being in your backyard, really just making making it yours in order to put yourself there and, and even trying to engage or, you know, uh, in your mind, engage your senses in a way to deepen that relax, relaxation experience. And it's, it's great because you, know, you can put yourself in a very tranquil place in your mind for as little as just five minutes, and that makes a huge difference in being able to really decrease your tension and stress and your pain. Yes, and turn off the TV and turn off the phone. <laughs> You're doing this. Yeah, you know, we can give ourselves such lovely treatment for chronic pain, but part of this um, syndrome of chronic pain is, gee, I don't have time. And there's another relationship I'd like you to address, which is really huge in my mind, and it's the relationship between food and pain. And yeah. I've heard there are some connections between the two, and I right. would appreciate right. it if you could uh, educate our listeners about this. Yeah, so this is, again, another approach within that biopsychosocial model. So nutrition is important for everyone because food gives us the nutrients, you know, our body needs uh, to remain healthy, heal, and, and really work properly. But food also has a major role in how we feel physical pain, so here's why. Depending on what you eat, certain foods can cause an you know, inflammatory response in your body, and inflammation is what your immune system creates when there's some kind of, you know, threat or insult um, or even damage to your tissue. So inflammation is not the only cause of pain, but it can make your pain feel more intense and last longer. It, it can make things worse. So actually fat cells are particularly a source of inflammatory chemistry, and so for those who are overweight, the, you know, the chronic low back pain, the hip, the knee, and foot pain you feel may actually be caused by where and how the bones and joints are supporting that weight and the inflammation. That is so amazing. So um, I guess I could summarize this by no diet of hamburgers, hot dogs, and fries. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> now, there's another, there's another phenomena that has to do with chronic pain, and that is about migraine headaches and people who suffer from these. What can you say about that? Okay, so this is, again, this could be another podcast just about migraine suffering in and of itself, but if you suffer from migraines, further inflammation can be caused by caffeine. You know, so coffee, tea, soda, and, and don't forget the chocolate. Caffeine seems to set off chemical reactions in the brain that can result in migraines for some people born with or just have a predisposition for headaches. However, small amounts of chocolate can actually help relieve the pain, which is the good news. But, yeah. But unfortunately, this means your body has become dependent on that. Um, In addition to caffeine, other foods, you know, as a migraine sufferer that you may try to limit or avoid are, um, you know, things with what's called tyramine in it, like cheese, red wine, you know, junk food, um, you know, and, and also moving from migraine sufferers to people who struggle with arthritis, again, further inflammation can be caused by food with nitrates in them. So try to avoid, so here's that hamburger, Anne, uh, you know, high fatty foods, bacon, deep fried foods, eggs, cheese, soda, processed meats, like hot dogs and and sausage. Avoid eggs? (laughs) What are Americans going to do for breakfast? This is awful. (laughs) I know. And people who like red wine are listening to this going, oh, my God, what do you mean? 
I think we're upsetting a lot of listeners right now. <laughs> I know. So it's so disappointing. Many of us don't connect food with pain. So let's right. do this. Let's connect this. Right. So I always say keep things in moderation, though. You know, just... Just know, though, that if you make the choice to indulge in something, you know, you know may cause a flare-up or discomfort, be okay with it. Be mindful of how you'll cope. Have a plan and and give yourself permission to fully enjoy whatever that is you're eating in that moment. But, you know, again, keep it minimal. And on the flip side, there's foods that actually help with inflammation. So, like, fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, uh, vitamin C, you know, of course, supports our immune system and, and fights inflammation. You know, in particular, fish and other foods that are rich in omega-3 oils also fight, inf- fight inflammation. And, you know, of course, drink lots of water, stay hydrated. Um, you know, our body is 70% water, so if we don't drink enough water, this can affect our skin, our muscles, our nerves, and digestion. So that's really important, drink water. But when you say nuts to me, I'm not thinking about one or two. I'm thinking probably about half a can. And so what you said about moderation is really, really right. important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, it, yes. With regard to pain flare-ups and not really knowing what's causing the flare-up or discomfort, what do you recommend? Do you have a particular strategy for this? Yeah, so a colleague of mine, uh, Chandler Walker, he's a specialist in chronic pain and gut health. He actually suggests creating what's called a chart of betterment, which involves a 1 to 10 scale on how you felt that day uh, and average it out over the week. So you look at your success over time. Throughout the weeks, what you do is you you remove certain foods, you know, like nightshade foods, peppers, eggs, dairy, gluten, Uh, fried foods, you're basically using an elimination process to pinpoint what's causing the response and promoting the pain cascade. And so then after 45 days, you start to introduce one food at a time. Uh, You know, wait seven days and see what causes an issue to come back and then add something else. And this can be really helpful, especially in particular for joint pain, but also pain from autoimmune disease, which is usually related in some way, you know, like fibromyalgia and and MS. Well, I imagine that some of our listeners are going, oh, that's so much work. Well, I want to remind you, it's also work to look at your watch, go get your pill bottle, remember to take your pill. Take time so the pill can work, and then try to get up and do um, what you daily need functioning. To do. Yeah, to be functioning under um, medication. So right. all of this takes time. So let's let's put our time in a different venue and see what happens. Let's experiment with this. And I also want to say, without doctor's guidance, do not take yourself off of any prescribed medication. Absolutely. You decide that you want to try other things and wean off and taper off, especially opioids, which are very, very difficult to come off of. You need to a professional to help you do this. Yes. Now, Dr. Bergstrom, in your experience, because this is about relationships, how does chronic pain affect relationships? So chronic pain has oftentimes been referred to in the literature as the silent illness or the invisible illness. You can't see it, and so often the person living with it can struggle with not being understood, believed, can be given a stigma, and can even become isolated. 
it's it's really an incredibly defeating and frustrating thing to live with. It's it's literally life altering, and it impacts not only the patient but also their loved ones around them, most notably a, a significant other. Depending on the type of chronic pain you're living with, your life, um, you know, as an individual and also as a couple, can turn very limiting and change a lot of things within that relationship with the person. So, with these changes in that relationship can bring about frustration, decrease in outings and activities, it decreases physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, it can, you know, cause resentment, fatigue, and, and more stress. I couldn't agree with you more, and uh, in my experience, this is really a huge issue because if I'm on an addictive medication for my chronic pain, that becomes my primary relationship it becomes the organizing principle of my life. When do I take my medication? So I'm sedated, and I cannot give what I used to give to relationships because I'm so focused on taking my medication and my pain. And or being, just because you're in, in physical pain, you're so limited to give. Exactly. So we can't allow chronic pain to drive the bus just like we can't allow any other illness to drive the bus. And I just want to put in a little plug for doing things that you like to do that were fun for you that may not involve physical activity, like go to a movie, um, sit, sit by a pond and watch the ducks, look at the clouds, do something, get out of the house, put TV down, put your phone down, and your video games, because all of that tends to make us like the wood, the Tin Woodsman in The Wizard of Oz. We aren't as um, agile. We need right. the oil to our joints is movement and doing yeah. some of these other techniques. So I'm hoping that our listeners will open themselves to other ways of looking at their chronic pain. Now, this is a... This shift in the couple dynamic must put a lot of stress onto the couple and I would imagine become quite problematic for the fate of a relationship if not properly handled. And I was wondering if you have any tips about this. First and foremost, education. Not only educating the patient about chronic pain, but just as important, educate the patient's loved ones. So like I said, it's, it's an invisible condition. So unless you are explicitly told what this all entails, you're not going to know. And there has been an abundance of studies showing that the intensity of pain level is actually decreased when that person feels a sense of love and connection with somebody else. So in this way, having a partner, having a strong support system um, that's on the same page with you and is supportive and knowledgeable about what the person's going through can actually serve as an intervention in and of itself. So communication is also key. Patience is very much a key. Knowing, grieving, and accepting the reality of what's changing within the relationship is key. And teaching the couple assertiveness, active listening, and emphasizing that every long-standing couple evolves together. And living with chronic pain is a way of evolving that can be met either with resistance or learning to manage it together. Yeah, I think those are really, really critical tips because um, I can see one partner being angry or resentful if their partner, who used to be up and active, now has chronic pain and is less mobile, and we used to play tennis together. So 
it seems like if chronic pain comes through your front door, we have to adjust what we do as couple, as a couple, and um, embrace new activities and ways of doing things together. Would you agree? I do, absolutely. So, you know, there's this huge reality of, of needing to make those life adjustments. However, some folks will go a bit overboard in decreasing their activities too much. Yeah. So just because of that fear of pain or re-injury. So, you know, people living with pain will try to prevent that further injury or, or decrease the pain by doing too little in order to gain right. short-term relief. But by being too inactive, this actually causes more problems. And so this is why. Oh, go ahead. We're going to have to take um, a break, unfortunately. Yep. So, listeners, we will be back with this topic in a few moments. Last week, my party chief said he wanted to go someplace he had never been before. So, I took him to the rear property line. Sound familiar? Are you tired of trudging all the way to the back of property lines? Why not take the steps to become a crew chief instead? Or even better, why not become a professional land surveyor and see your name stamped on that final survey? The Nettleman Institute of Land Surveying Engineering Technology is your next step. At NYSET, we believe you are the future of surveying, and we want to do everything we can to help you succeed at becoming a professional surveyor. NYSET offers the only online one-year certificate of land surveying program that includes all books, fees, and expenses in one simple price. Visit LandSurveyCareer.com to stop trucking through the mud and step into your future today. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual, family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Relationship Radio, we were talking about how chronic pain um, affects relationships before the break. And I think this is a really an important topic because the, those of us with chronic pain can't help it. And, and we're in a relationship, and the chronic pain affects the relationship. So 
where we left off, Dr. Bergson, was Dr. Bergson was you were speaking about the balance of still trying to remain active and the cost of too much inactivity, and I was wondering if you could return to that topic for us. Absolutely. So too much inactivity, you know, meaning not being active enough, um, this approach actually aggravates pain by a few things. So number one, it decreases your body's flexibility and stamina. And so what can happen when you then move because you're stiff, uh, you're more susceptible to actually pulling a muscle um, or your body just hurts from, you know, not moving. And Additionally, what can happen is what's called muscle atrophy, which occurs when you stop using your muscles. Like uh, It's also called disuse atrophy, and this can cause further damage and weakness. And then the other downfall of not being active enough has to do with what's called synovial fluid. It's the fluid that keeps, and, and I think you uh, referred to this before, Synovial fluid is the fluid that keeps joints lubricated when we move. And so this fluid actually decreases as a result of not um, being physically active, you know, not exercising. And when joints have decreased fluid to keep them lubricated, joint pain actually increases. And so, you know, lastly, you know, being underactive can worsen depression. It can increase worthlessness and isolation. That kind of sounds depressing. <laughs> it does. How do we find a balance then with all the, of this? Yeah, so the concept of pacing is very common in the field of chronic pain treatment. So literally pace yourself in your physical activities. While this can be extremely frustrating um, at first because you're essentially learning your new limits, uh, but for many, pain on some days is better than other days. So on those good days, it's uh, it's not uncommon for people to want to catch up on their to-do list um, and depending on your personality, you might it you you may find it difficult to stop doing a project until it's finished, and so many will work on that project or you know work on their errands despite the onset of that pain. And so what happens? You overdo it, and so people with chronic pain will sometimes want to work through this pain in order to complete their tasks. But the problem is, while while pushing through that pain, um, it's just going to create more pain and fatigue, and and as a result, will actually set you back even more days. Well, okay, so let's be on the brighter side. (laughs) Right. Because that sounds like... Still depressing. Well, not just depressing, but, you know, like, why bother? I'm going to give up. Right. So talk to us about the steps for pacing inactivity so we can sort of have a new way of looking at how we can live our life with chronic pain and still have a productive, happy existence. Right. So first, identify a task that you typically do every day that tends to cause you pain or more pain. So this could be things like doing the laundry, gardening, running errands, walking, using your stationary bike. Identify then how long it will take you to do that task safely without causing a pain flare-up. So this number is actually called your active time. Uh, this amount of time should be a few minutes before the point where you actually start to feel the pain, right? So you're, you're um, identifying the amount of active time before you start to feel the pain. So identify how long then your break will be before you become active again. So this number will be your rest time. So to help keep yourself accountable and master your pacing, I suggest creating what's called an activity monitoring worksheet where you write down your activity along with your active time and rest time for that activity and take some notes on how it went each day and follow it. Hmm. 
I love that because it gives us a way to balance our life in a, in a way that's more productive and helps us offset our chronic pain in some way and keeps us interested in our life instead of just focusing on the, the pain. Right, and I think that the, the, the advantage of you know, literally writing this down with your activity and your plan, it gives you a sense of accountability to follow it. Say, okay, so I know that if I you know, garden for 15 minutes, that's my active time. And after 15 minutes, I have to pause and rest for 10 minutes before I go back to that activity. So it's a really nice way to visually see your plan. Well, not only that, Dr. Bergstrom, but it seems like it's so, it provides us with so much hope. Mm-hmm. I think chronic pain sufferers are, get hopeless, like, oh, this is never going to change. Life is miserable. But I think this, this new way of looking at it and all the information that you've provided us is really hopeful that we can have happy lives. And, and sure, we have a thorn in our side, but um, we can get past it, through it, and it can join us or we can join it mm-hmm. in dealing with it. Right. Any, I have chronic other... pain and I can still do these activities, yeah. Yes, exactly, as opposed to I have chronic pain and it just debilitates me and I can't do anything, so I'm going to lay here and watch I'm dating myself days of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I think, I actually, I think the new one is 90 Day Fiancé. <laughs> Huh, okay, all right. Any other tips about pacing and not overdoing your activities? Sure. Uh, Take breaks before the pain actually begins. So this ends up causing more productivity in the end. So don't use pain as an indicator to stop or take a break. If you feel pain, you've already gone too far. Use time. So, again, you know, that that 15 minutes of gardening and then 10 minutes of break. Um, Mindfulness is huge in managing pain. So meaning being present, being aware of how your body is moving, how you're feeling, what you're thinking. Be mindful of the activities you're doing and how your body is responding. So avoid rushing. Uh, Try to spread your activities evenly throughout the week to avoid overdoing it. And be flexible with yourself, with your schedule. If you need to switch some things around, it's okay. You need to be reasonable with yourself. And, you know, lastly, use relaxation, you know, some of the things we talked about before, and and other pain coping strategies during these activities. I think those are great tips. Now, I know that you're an athlete, and I know that you are passionate about fitness. Can you speak to exercise and chronic pain? Absolutely. This goes with really the proper pacing and activity level and actually more specifically to exercise in and of itself. Exercise helps with the pain threshold. Um, so with chronic pain, your, your threshold drops. Uh, so, but with cardiovascular uh, training, strength training, and flexibility exercises, you're actually improving. You're increasing your pain threshold. So, in addition, exercise releases a chemical called endorphins, which impacts the pain receptors in your brain that will then reduce your perception of pain. So, these endorphins also act as natural uh, analgesics and sedatives. Uh, again, diminishing that perception of pain. So having said this, though, it's extremely important to consult with your doctor, uh, your, you know, your PT or your pain specialist before engaging in any exercise on your own. Uh, again, pacing is key, but you know, I want to emphasize exercise literally helps uh, your pain threshold. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think that's really important. And often those of us with chronic pain go, oh, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> but open your mind. Now, um, I know that we have about three more minutes left in our program, unfortunately, because you're such a wealth of information, but could you briefly share with us the relationship between pain and sleep? Sure. So, um, let's see. I will say that sleep plays a huge role in helping manage your pain, yet painful and sleepless nights are unfortunately uncomfortable unfortunately common for those living with pain. So, um, you know, seven hours of sleep is the ideal amount, especially those living with pain, but sleep, you know, helps with healing the body, and this is restorative sleep. Uh, Not enough of this restorative sleep can actually increase chronic pain flare-ups, which then in turn make it even more difficult to sleep the night after and thus perpetuates this vicious cycle. So you actually may notice that after a bad night's sleep, you may feel your aches and pains a bit more than usual. Mm. Well, uh, I think sleep is important and it's underestimated and people go, oh, I can't sleep because of my pain. But um, I think we have to deal with that and and I don't have any financial interest in what I'm going to say, but there's there's a a little app called Calm Mm -hmm. and there are also other apps that, that help people go to sleep and to relax. And for those of you who struggle with this issue, um, I'm hoping that you consider another way of going to bed and relaxing your your brain and your body instead of thinking about, oh, my God, this is so painful. I, I also want to ask you again briefly, uh, there's some gender differences, some research about gender differences in pain. Could you just briefly tell us about these? Sure. So interestingly, researchers believe that women tend to recover more quickly than uh, men do from pain, partly because estrogen helps women recognize pain more easily. And then also in our society, women, like, you know, we seem to seek help more readily and quickly for pain. Uh, There was a study looking at adult volunteers that indicated that women tend to recover from pain more quickly than men, cope more effectively with it, and are less likely to allow pain to control their lives. And research has shown that... Research has I'm, I'm going to have to interrupt you because we're yeah. just out of time. <laughs> oh. Dr. Bergstrom, it's been such so a much to cover. one hour. I know. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us this oh, morning. Absolutely. And listeners, don't let it's chronic pain rule your life. Even if you have chronic pain, you can still live your life with gusto and enthusiasm. And thank you for joining us this morning. Until next week, remember that only you can make your world the way you want it to be. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.